It's Dr. Andy Matheson, and I'm here with the Medical Sports Nutrition Podcast. Firstly, a um, apology, because I have still not got the Facebook page up with the references from the last three episodes. Um, I now have a Facebook page, though, so we are halfway there, and... Probably more importantly, I have managed to build a front garden gate to stop little people escaping into the road. So um, we are almost there and I've got plenty of excuses in my back pocket about why I haven't done it yet. Today, rather than being so much triggered by a paper that I saw, it was a case that then made me run down some rabbit holes and I thought I would share them with you. Um, and then on the back of that, I saw another case that I, uh, another journal article that I thought fitted in quite nicely. So we're going to start with the journal article first. It is called An Audit of Hormonal Contraceptive Use in Women's Super League Soccer Players Implications on Symptomology by Parker et al. And it's published in Science and Medicine in Football. Now, as with a lot of the papers uh, this week, I suppose the first question is what on earth has this got to do with nutrition? And sports nutritionists like to kind of dip their toe and become involved in anything that they think will um, negatively impact the health of their athletes. Now, for the most part, that tends to be balancing out the volume of training they're doing with the nutrition and the food they're taking in. But of course, lots of things will impact that. And one of the things that impacts that, and we will constantly come back to, is this idea that we're complicated creatures controlled by hormonal cycles that vary from day to day, month to month, and throughout our lifetime. This idea of relative energy deficiencies come in People have started to say, okay, well, there's clearly a, a hormonal element here. And if we measure certain hormones like us of thyroid and testosterone, we can maybe start to have some tests that we can put together to say someone has got relative energy deficiency. Uh, you're not fueling them correctly. And that's why they're getting these uh, problems such as bone injuries, recurrent illness, low mood, etc., etc. Now, to be able to do that, you've A, got to understand what's normal in uh, the sort of hormonal profiles, then what's normal in athletes, and then what's normal in different sex athletes who may be taking medications that will alter what the hormones are. And so it's, it's unfortunately not, not never quite as simple as we would like. Um, this was... Uh, basically an, an attempt uh, by uh, sort of Graham Close and James Morton's team with, with Kirsty Sale, who gives fantastic talks on the subject, uh, just to try and improve our understanding in the Women's Super League. Um, and what was probably most interesting on it is that there seemed to be uh, quite a low reported use of hormonal contraception and uh, not the choice you'd expect in elite athletes. Um, 
when I have elite athletes come in and talk about the hormonal choice, uh, first of all, this idea of bone bone health comes up, um, what the athlete's preference might be, um, what, uh, what are they worried about in some of the military personnel? They're far more focused on actually just being able to control their cycles um, rather than so much sort of squeezing out the, any performance gains that might be uh, possible between this, the different um, contraceptive options. Um, and essentially what this said is in the Women's Super League, compared to other elite sports, actually there's, there's less use of hormonal contraceptive and their their summary on it, which I thought was probably reasonably um, sensible, was that uh, this was just because the Women's Super League is still really developing as an a, a, a elite entity. Um, and actually, some of the other studies looking at hormonal contraceptive use that have shown uh, contraceptive use far higher than we would see in the normal community have been in professional uh, sports that have been professional for a much longer time. So interesting there and I think the takeaway from this for me is is just with any female athlete just to make sure I've had that con uh, conversation and say what's your understanding who have you spoken to about it? And is there any where you think we, we ought to be going? Um, and then probably give them some information to go to go away with. And as I said, there's a few people that do excellent podcasts. There was one on the uh, BJSM podcast I thought was fantastic. And Kirsty Sale does some good talks. So... Interesting article, and we're going to stay on this idea of hormones and how trying to um, understand how the sort of myriad of interactions they have on our life can um, can can be uh, managed from a, a nutrition point of view. Now, so as I was saying, there was a case that had kind of driven me into kind of realizing there was uh, what we call a sort of doctor's educational need. Um, it was to do with using testosterone um, in the menopause. And it wasn't something that I have to say I've really done much. Now, testosterone is actually a really important female hormone. Um, all, all women will produce it. Some women with certain conditions, such as polycystic ovaries, might produce a little bit more or have a, a slightly higher measurable level. So as uh, testosterone falls over, the, over a woman's lifespan, um, and particularly noticeable if um, after the induction of menopause by sort of surgical or, or medical means, for, um, which occurs for a variety of, of possible reasons, um, where there can be a real drop in testosterone production, it, it can lead to a number of symptoms. Um, in particular, uh, the impact on libido, um, also general quality of life, tiredness, mood, um, can cause bone strength problems, um, muscle strength problems. So having learned that and having realised that there was sort of an area I needed to kind of be a bit more aware of, uh, a couple of things clicked in. The first one was, has 
taking additional testosterone caused any problems for any athletes. And when I googled that, I found out that actually the, there has been a fair bit in the media. Um, in particular, uh, one a uh, cyclist called Kim Sioli. Um, and testosterone, as everyone know, is a banned substance. And so if you wanted to use it, you'd have to apply for a TUE, um, certainly in the UK. And anyone can find out more about uh, getting that on the UCAD website. Uh, but it's um, essentially just adds a layer of complication if you've got a female athlete who is doing elite competition, but is going through the menopause and has low testosterone levels. Um, the other bit that then, a bit of rabbit hole I, I jumped down was, well, what happens if I have an elite athlete who has low testosterone um, and is, is on HRT, but I'm also worried uh, about the fact that she may have relative energy deficiency or elements of female athlete triad. Uh, and how, how do I test for that? How would I manage it? What should I treat first? Um, so, uh, on the back of that, what I thought was I'd just check what difference would testosterone make? Um, and obviously, there's been lots of this in the media, but looking around, I actually found a really nice review uh, called Circulating Testosterone as the Hormonal Basis of Sex Differences in Athletic Performance by David Handelsman in, in Endocrine Reviews from 2018. Um, and had a, a really nice summary of the fact that there's this, this wide um, distribution of, of possible testosterone concentrations. Um, the, the cutoffs are there because uh, they, they make sense within this normal distribution. But he's, he's very clear in discussing there will be people that, uh, unfortunately, because of, sort of conditions such as polycystic ovaries, which, which is very common in elite female athletes, um, they may well get caught out by some of the testing regimes. So, uh, lots to, to take in there. Um, I suppose the first one for me and the main one is, is now knowing that actually I probably need to be thinking about measuring testosterone levels in any elite athlete that I'm starting on, on HRT because... From the uh, article there, it, it will have a significant impact on their uh, muscle mass and will impact sarcopenia. Even though that previous Lancet review said they, they didn't find uh, any evidence. And I suppose that the final rabbit hole now, if you can, you can bear with me just a little bit longer, uh, was I then thought, well, what, what's this got to do with nutrition? And this uh, came back to something that I've just started uh, learning about again, uh, one where I think I'm probably a little bit late to the party. But this idea of phytoexysteroids, which uh, I think are probably more common overseas than in the UK, but it's um, basically where plants... Uh, produce these, uh, I'll call them PEs because uh, uh, phytoectodysteroids is, uh, will be a challenge constantly. These PEs um, are in the plants and they're a protection against plant-eating insects. Um, and essentially they're just metabolically active, uh, uh, they call them um, 
ectodiesteroids, polyhydroxylated ketosteroids, essentially similar to the androgens um, in their chemical structure. So this is where the nutrition bit comes in. What if someone doesn't want to take uh, some uh, testosterone gel, but they ask about other options? And is there any evidence or any data on using these herbal supplements um, to help with low testosterone levels in female athletes going through the menopause? Now, the short answer to this is I couldn't find anything particularly useful. I could find some on male testosterone and the impact of herbs. Um, and actually, that's probably going to be a the discussion for next week, is, well, maybe uh, another week rather than next week, will be what about male testosterone levels in aging and the sarcopenia impact and, and all that. But I couldn't find anything uh, purely looking at females in the menopause. The only thing I could find was an interesting little teaser um, on clinicaltrials.gov saying there's a supplement study going on at Appalachian State University um, looking at sarcopenia uh, during aging. Um, and uh, it looks from uh, what I can see that they will include women in the study, but waiting on that one. I, I hope they do, because that will be uh, hugely interesting and useful. So, uh, slightly random, uh, one interesting paper that just um, kind of prompting that uh, need to have more conversations with our female athletes. And the second one, more a kind of uh, update for myself and learning a little bit more about the role of testosterone, how it might be used in my menopausal athlete patients, the problems I might cause for them if I'm not careful with getting my TUEs and, and going through the UCAD and um, uh, getting all that done correctly and also what if they don't want the gel and what if they're asking about more hormonal options um, and uh, for those who want to read a little bit more about um, uh, the hormonal options let me just get the name of uh, the uh, best article I found uh, that had bits about it so um, the one on a uh, good one on men was called examining the effects of herbs on testosterone concentrations in men um, and it was by Stephen Smith and all and I have a feeling Stephen Smith uh, may well be one of my old lecturers but I couldn't uh, quite figure that out um, as he seemed to be based in Australia rather than the UK so um, not too sure about that group um, but really lovely and just talks about some of the different options. The one that uh, I heard mentioned most when just googling was actually the morale route um, and that's the one where they're doing this clinical trial and if you're on clinicalguttrials.gov supplement study strength testosterone sexual function quality of life uh, Appalachian State University um, that's got the uh, the study details and and what they're going to be looking at there. So uh, thank you very much for that. I uh, hope you're having a great day, managed to get out, get some exercise and uh, we'll chat soon.